Thank you, Miss Jerusha Hall. It's so good to have you chairing. We'll get somebody else with a different name later in the next month. We'll have a Mrs. That's okay. Ah, start with a bad joke. Let's open with prayer because obviously we should not open sermons with jokes. Okay, Father, thank you so much uh, that you are here in our midst. Lord, even as I um, share your word today, I ask that you'd um, be with me and, and with all of us here as we uh, learn about you uh, and your goodness. Help us to shape our tastes. Help us as we interact with the world in all of creation that you have made in such a way that we can see your goodness in it even. So we commit everything into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you so much for doing this survey. Uh, it's something that we've been doing for the longest uh, time. Um, and it's actually been really quite helpful for us to kind of understand uh, the church. So we, we know like how many non-Christians there are, whether people have migrated over for a long time, what kind of cultures are in our church. I think the last count we had 18, I want to say, 18 different countries represented at FGA. And so it's just, it's just kind of helpful things to know. Um, we don't actually make any decisions off the survey. I think the last eight or nine surveys, that means eight or nine years information, have not been calculated. It's just sitting somewhere. <laughs> so, so you don't have to be worried too much about us like doing lots of things with your data because I don't even know what we're doing with the data yet. But, but, but if you're in our amazing stats team, wherever you are, uh, I see a few guys, uh, we need to get onto it really quick. Okay. But hey, uh, let's go. Are these my slides? Can you click into my sermon so then I can get it on here? No. I am trying. Okay, good. Brilliant. Great. Thank you. It just changed. Okay. Beings. Human, be human beings have an amazing capacity to do something that they like. like. Human beings have an amazing capacity to do things that they don't like doing. And one of the things that helps us to do things that we don't like doing is something called is something called acquired taste. All right, today the whole topic as you know we're in our food gospel analogy, eat well, everything's all food. Today we're covering the sense, one of the five senses that deals with food, taste, all right? So today's all tasty. All right, great. Tasty feel hungry already. But one of the things that allows us as human beings to do things that we don't initially like is that even if we don't, we don't like it over time, we can acquire a taste for it. And then we keep doing it. Like, like I don't know, durian, right? Like, like you, you initially... You, you encounter the fruit, right? It is pungent. It's smelly. You know, it can, it, can, um, it can even be bitter. In fact, you can get to such an acquired taste with durian that they are saying, I, and I read this on, on, on the internet, so obviously it must be true, that durian connoisseurs prefer their durian bitter. They prefer it bitter. So you can get to a stage where you like your food smelly and bitter. Oh my goodness, a quiet taste. You know, um, there, is, there is blue cheese. All right? Blue cheese. I was doing some research on blue cheese, and it turns out the blue, the blue in blue cheese is a mold. Right? Or they think originally discovered in a cave somewhere. So someone is going off eating all these different molds on cheeses. Maybe half of them dying. I don't know what it is. And then one person stumbles upon blue cheese and maybe eats it a hundred times. And they're, oh yeah, actually, 
maybe this will be really good. Put it with some fruit or whatever. Great. Okay, I got to warn you guys. All right, so last week was my kids' safe sermon. Some graphic images are about to come out. So it's okay. Hopefully, internet doesn't censor us. I'm sure there's worse things on the internet. Okay. This is Balut. Oh my goodness. When we were in Philippines on a medical mission trip, okay, I don't even want to explain what that is, okay, but it is an acquired, okay, I quickly change that. Okay, it is an acquired taste. If you do not know what Balut is, we have many lovely Filipinos here who are happy to introduce it to you. Woohoo! Uh, or you can Google Balut. You know, but there, we have this ability, right, to even though something seems not quite appealing and we don't even like it, over time, humans can acquire a taste for something. It always blows my mind. You know, as a young person growing up in this church, that it's not just related to food, right? We have people in our church who actually like gardening, mowing their lawn and pulling weeds out, which would seem to me like, oh my goodness, this is the worst thing you could possibly do with your time. Yet we have people who have at the pinnacle of their career, they've earned all the money they need to earn in life, they've made it in the career. Now they're going to retire in Australia, they're going to do whatever the thing is that they want to do. And it is weeding. It is gardening their lawn. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, it must be some kind of a acquired taste, you know. Uh, there, there are people who like studying. All right? So can you imagine all these uni students? Imagine if you would, uni students. Yep. That not, are you, you're not making excuses to skip classes. What you're doing is after you've retired and you've got heaps of time, you're like, oh, finally. Everybody's leaving me in peace. I can do whatever I want now. I'm going to read. Yes. I'm going to read. I'm going to study. This is what I like doing. Or maybe this one I really can't understand. There are people who pay money to other people to make you work out. All right? There are. There are people who enjoy pushing their body. Come on, push that one more time, one more time, 20 more times. There are people who enjoy brutalizing their body. Pain, suffering, the more tears and sweat, the better it is. Can you imagine? Humans have somehow developed this capability to acquire a taste for something that you might initially go, why? Why would anybody do this? Taste has this amazing capability. If we change our tastes, if we acquire a taste, we can actually find something that is unappealing. It can become appealing if we change our taste, if we acquire a taste. And so today... I want to talk a little bit about it because I think we need to pay attention to our tastes. What are we forming? How are we forming our tastes in life? Are we setting our taste on high sugar, high salt? Are we, are we acclimatizing our taste to uh, fantasy, pornography, things of the world? Are we acquiring? What kind uh, what are our taste buds like? What is, what is our taste like? Because let me tell you something that mankind has discovered. We've known this for a very long time. Your tastes will drive you. People go all over the place with food. Right? What you, what you deem to be good what tastes good to you? If you formed your taste on it, that will be what you end up consuming and doing. So I think it's really important. Today, we're going to go on an amazing taste tour 
oh, this is going to be so good. I, I remember talking about this in the staff team. And Nick Tay said to me, is there going to be any actual food? And I'm like, it's going to be a degustation. There's going to be so much spiritual food. It's going to be a tour today. We're going to take a tour, a degustation tour through the Bible as we look across Scripture about what it says about taste. Um, I've actually done this for every single one of the, the topics on the the, the Eat Well series, but I thought for this particular one, taste, why don't I just peel back a little bit of my own research uh, into it, right? And let's just take a tour, because at the end of this, maybe you'll get to know the Bible a little bit better. Maybe you'll see some passages in Scripture that have always been there that will help you see taste in perhaps a different light. All right. Let's go through, because I think you'll, I, I, I love it, I think you'll find that the Bible uses taste to describe many things that are common to mankind. The, the Hebrew word that's used in, um, uh, for taste is ta'am, and it kind of means perceiving, or taste um, in terms of like well, how you, you perceive something. So does that taste good or does it taste bad? Do you perceive it as good or do you perceive it as bad? Which, which I, I really like. In the Greek, they actually use two words. Um, uh, 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 geoman, which is uh, like experience. So taste becomes like an experience. Or the only two times it's used, moreno, it's used to mean a fool or lost. But I'll get to it soon. Let's cover... In our degustation tour of the Bible of tastes, our first dish, misery. <laughs> dish number one, misery. That's right, we go right into the book of Job, and Job, he's like, you know, oh my goodness, suffering, right? All kinds of bad things have been happening to this guy. And so he writes down, he writes down in what would then be passed to us Thousands and thousands of years later, we are reading this. The Jews read this because it's in the Jewish Bible, right? Uh, the Christians all around the world, the Catholics, the Protestants, we're all reading this. And he writes down, can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the juice or the mallow? My appetite refuses to touch them. They are as food that is loathsome for me. And he's describing the suffering that he is facing in his life. He's like, God, can you, this suffering, like who can eat that? It's like vegetables. Oh my goodness. You, you need to put lots of sauce or dressing on it or whatever. Like it's like food without salt. God, I can't take what you're giving me. You've got to put something else with it so that I can live this life. Yet, so that, that's Job, right? That's, that's in our Bible. Yet, how can it be that when we flip over to the New Testament and you've got other writers writing about the taste of suffering and the taste of these trials, they would write, uh, let's say in Romans 5, 3 to 5, Paul would write, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance, character, and on and on and on. So then Paul has discovered something about suffering that Job, when he initially encounters it, goes, oh, this tastes terrible to me. And Paul's like, oh, I can put up with this taste because it is going to produce in me endurance. And that endurance is going to produce character. And he had a different viewpoint. James 1 verse 2 also says that, right? And so we first encounter tastes, and you see how even in misery, even in suffering, there can be different perceptions, different tastes to how you can treat the things that happen 
in life to you. Let's go to the second course. Oh, this is such a fun meal. Sin. Sin. Turns out sin is talked about in the Bible. The, the wisest person in the Bible. So you, we're going now into, so I'm just chronologically going through the Bible, right? Okay. Um, you've got, you've got uh, Proverbs. All right. You've got Solomon. And he's writing wisdom to his sons. He's like, okay, come on. You guys need to know. Let me tell you something. And he says this, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man. But afterwards, his mouth will be full of gravel. You see how he's using food and that food analogy to try and impart wisdom. We're, we're, at FJ, we're following a tradition that's in the Bible to use food analogies all the time to explain life, right? And so he's like, okay, this is what sinfulness is like. This is what sin does. It, it tastes sweet to a man, but it leaves a bad aftertaste. There's a bad aftertaste, right? I was researching actually taste in there. And if you look at Wikipedia or whatever on taste, you'll see there's many things um, that fall under taste as subtopics. So acquired taste actually falls as a subtopic. Another sort of subtopic is aftertaste. So it turns out there's the taste of something and then a different kind of taste that it leaves in your mouth after you've swallowed it or you've consumed it already. Right? And this is what this is what Solomon is using to try and explain the phenomenon of sin. Or in this case, lying deceit, right? He's trying to explain to you something about um, the true taste of sin, the, the true nature of what sin is. It, it tastes like it's sweet. It tastes like it's really good, like, oh my goodness, this is great. I'm on a winner now. This feels so good. Its reward is great. It's, it's like bread gained by deceit, right? Phew, good thing I didn't get caught. Winner, I didn't even have to pay for it. I could lie my way into the thing, right? It tastes sweet to a man. And he's trying to describe the taste. But afterwards, his mouth is like you've eaten gravel. You, you know what that's like? So it's, so it's so vivid, the imagery. It's like you've taken a whole bunch of sand with rocks in it in your mouth. And you're just like... <sighs> Terrible. I remember when I went camping once. Uh, when I was 13 years old in, in Lamut, we were doing Outward Bound, and I'm definitely not an outdoors person. And we had to cook our own food. And I was in charge of cooking, and I accidentally spilled the rice that we were boiling on a, a homemade fire. I spilled the rice. So I just scooped back the rice back into the pot and kept on cooking and didn't tell anybody. So then, afterwards... The whole, our whole tent, our whole team, like six of us or whatever it is, right? We're all eating the rice. And it's like got gravel, got sand. Everywhere. And I'm, I'm like, oh man, these like jungle food is so terrible. <laughs> I, I, I should probably have go back and confess to them. I wasn't a pastor back then. Okay, anyway, I know what that tastes like. A mouthful of gravel. It's terrible. But this is what King Solomon is trying to say, right? Hey, what does sin taste like to you, right? What does it taste like? He, he, he's accurately de describing it. You know, let me give you a tip. If you want to get rid, and some of you already know this tip, but if you want to get rid of the bad aftertaste of sin in your mouth after, you don't want to have this mouthful of gravel. I'll give you a, a big tip. Just sin again. Because that's what a lot of people do. They're like, I'm going to sin. Oh no, the consequence is coming. Oh no, I'm going to feel really bad after this. Oh no, this is going to be a bad taste. Don't worry. More in so that I get that sweet taste back in my mouth. And then what can happen is you can keep over time, consuming. That's why he uses this analogy. Because 
you can, as humans, we can acclimatize ourselves. We can even medicate ourselves. We can acquire a taste for just that sweet part thinking that the, the bitter part, the gravel part, we never have to deal with. Unfortunately, at some point, no amount of sweetness, the sweetness dulls over time. And you find yourself consuming more and more of sin just to get that sweet effect, to nullify the gravel impact. That impact that all of us know too well. Because the Bible says, for all have sinned. So we all know too well what it feels like. We don't even need our wives or our husbands or our mothers and fathers to tell us things. Because when we sin, we know it. Right? That's why this is there. Because Solomon is trying to paint a picture using taste of the true nature of sin. Do you know what sin tastes like? I just want to pause it because Solomon is trying to give us wisdom. He's trying to say, hey, this is what sin tastes like. This is what happens when you get things through lying or deceit. And I think it's wise for us to, to sit with this as scripture as we're going through each of these different courses, right? And go, oh, what is the Bible telling us that we can now live today in, in our world, in our life? Why is it that people are reading these texts thousands and thousands of years afterwards? Ah, there's truth in there. I know what sin tastes like. You just have to hang around long enough for the bad aftertaste. That's what sin tastes like. Next, wisdom. Turns out wisdom has a feature in the Bible, that's the next course we are going to. Nick Tay's like social. He's like, oh, amazing meal. <laughs> okay, but wisdom is the next thing that the Bible tackles. And you see this in Proverbs. And, and again, Solomon is using food, a food metaphor, to describe what wisdom tastes like. My son, eat honey, for it is good. And you're thinking, oh. Goodness, this is like an ad for New Zealand, Manuka, or whatever it is. No, 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 no. It's an analogy. It's a food gospel analogy. My son, eat honey, for it is good. And the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. So he's like, oh, yeah, I know what honey is like. Yeah, honey's good. Then he translates the analogy. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. Wisdom tastes like that. If you find it, just like it's so hard to find honey. Okay, those guys in ancient days, they couldn't go down to Coles and just buy a jar of honey. It was hard to find. If you find it, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. That means that wisdom, the aftertaste of wisdom, the reward of wisdom is a future and a hope. Did you know, um, I did some, I did some um, research. It has been known since prehistoric times. That means before history was even recorded. Known since prehistoric times that honey was the most precious and often only sweetener in ancient times. Honey was one of the go-tos. It was the Greeks thought it the food for the gods. So when, when Solomon writes this in that culture, what he's trying to say is, wisdom is like that. It's rare. It's precious. You have to seek it out. It's hard to find. Wisdom Tastes like honey. Wisdom. Initially, it's very tricky, right? You, 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 you may not be able to find it. You get past the bees. I don't know if you've ever had to acquire honey yourself besides going to cold. Imagine, very hard. 
to get honey. You got to go, you know, through potentially being stung. I, I remember, for me anyway, one of the vivid, if you've been at FGA for a while, you know, you've heard me say this, but one of the vivid things um, about it is, uh, you know, and, and, and wisdom, the good thing about wisdom is like, it can be anything in life, right? I mean, sure, there's godly wisdom, but there's also all of life wisdom. Um, do you know what wisdom tastes like? Because wisdom tastes, the great part about wisdom is in the aftertaste. So for me, I remember when I was younger and um, my parents would make me, force me to do accounting. Oh my goodness, accounting. Accounting. I don't think that is ever an acquired taste. I'd rather eat 10 balut than do accounting. Okay? But anyway, it just so happened, my mom's like, I'm an accountant. You've got to do accounting. I'm like, okay accounting. So anyway, I didn't want to do accounting, but I did accounting. It turns out that accounting was perfectly suited to the exact opposite personality of mine, all right? That accounting was a nothing natural for me. In fact, I remember when I first got my job, um, I, uh, they put me in auditing. I don't know why they put me in auditing when I first started. They were rotating me across uh, at PwC in this accounting firm that I ended up, you know, working in. And uh, they got me to count, because, you know, I was the new grad. They got me to count shoes in a shoe warehouse out in Colac, all right? So I drive all the way there. I get a speeding ticket, right, on my way there. So I'm like, I get there in Colac. I'm counting shoes, I'm so not detailed oriented, right? They didn't have a clicker. Like one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five, right? I get to the end of the day and I'm like, boss, we have to sit down. There's a problem here because there is a material amount of missing shoes in this warehouse. Yeah, so glad you got me to do your count. We need to start writing up an audit report on this company. And my manager, my boss at the time, said, Chris, tomorrow, count the whole thing again. We've been auditing this company for 20 years, and they've never had a mistake in their stock. I'm like, oh, what? I counted. Because when I count, the way they do it is you can't just count it once. You actually have to count it twice. So by the time I'm submitting that there's an error in the, the, the warehouse, I'm pretty sure I'm right. Anyway, the next day I count, turns out I missed out an entire section of their warehouse. And I missed it the second count that I did, you know, in my double check. Anyway, so turns out uh, I was wrong and they were perfectly correct, right? This is how unsuited I am for accounting. So terrible, so terrible. Anyway, it turns out if you fast forward 10 years, 15 years after that moment, it's one of the best things that's actually happened to me because I've now discovered that all my strengths in life are in the creative uh, ideas side of the world, you know, just wing things as you go, right? Uh, yet... If I need to do all the really boring, check off the box, do the list, smash out the details, I now have like muscle memory or the ability to like, I was just saying to Denise the other, the other day, I'm so thankful that I worked um, at, at Denise's company for my internship because all I spent, all, spent all my time that summer just typing numbers into a spreadsheet to do bank reconciliations manually, not like importing the bank feed like you do nowadays. And I developed my single skill that I developed in all my two months of internship with Denise was the ability to type in numbers without looking at the pad. So I could just go, here are some numbers. That was the only thing I did. Like that, and it turns out it's a great skill to have if you work in an accounting firm, 
Not if you're not detail-oriented and you miss an entire section. But anyway, the idea was that after five years, ten years, I tasted wisdom. Not, not that accounting's for everybody. I'm just trying to say, like, for me, I, I, I discovered in life that there are some things that actually, if you defer to somebody who's wiser than you, who knows about your, your life and your situation, or if you, if you seek out wisdom, there are some things, if you hang in the game long enough, you get the real taste of wisdom. Let's go to the next course. Love. Love. Oh, man. Okay, this is definitely, we're definitely not in kids' territory here. Because we're going to go into the Song of Solomon. Um, I'm actually contemplating next year of doing a poetic book, maybe the Song of Solomon. Because we're trying to systematically go through. We're in Galatians this year, in case you hadn't realized. Okay. Okay. Song of Solomon. The Bible uses taste to describe love, intimate love. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight, I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. Or, for women, the other side, your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. Honey and nectar. The Bible uses taste to describe love. I want to ask, I think it, it begs the question, what does our love taste like? If you, if, if you were to go to your husband and wife right now, you're like, hey, hey, we're married. What do you think, what do you think our love tastes like? <laughs> Honey and nectar. <laughs> Oh my goodness, right? So, <laughs> that's great. The Bible is painting a picture of what it should look like. The Bible is painting a picture of the kind of love that God has for us that we should be cultivating, right? That's why I love just going through Scripture and seeing what it's talking about because maybe our taste of love Maybe our view of what love should be, of how we should honor our partner, love our partner, has been warped by today's taste buds. And we're no longer even trying to shoot for the love that is portrayed in Scripture. We have to pay attention to our tastes. We have to pay attention to what things we're acquiring the taste of. That's what's coming out through this culinary tour of Scripture. Let's go to our next dish, death. Jesus, we're now in the New Testament, but Jesus tasted death. That's his this is the words the Bible uses. All right, so just in case you hadn't realized, I'm not just randomly picking verses from the Bible. These are verses that mention taste. All right, it, there were many more. I collated it into major themes. All right, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because... Of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he may taste death for everyone. You see in here that Jesus, who did not have to taste death, Jesus, who was above it, lowered himself. To taste the same death that we would have to taste. That's why he says that he might taste death for everyone. 
that we, Hebrews goes on to say that we don't have a high priest who is unfamiliar with our lives and doesn't, hasn't tasted the thing, hasn't seen our world. God full well knows our great enemy in death. Yet he has defeated death. Yet he has conquered death. He knows what it tastes like and it's not too strong for him. And so you see, the Bible even talks about, we need to know what the taste of death is like, actually. We do. It should inform how we live our life. It should drive us towards the one who's already tasted it and won. The Bible talks about the taste of death. Next, the Bible talks about the blessings of the kingdom. So as you go through scripture, there's another food analogy that is used. And that is of the rewards of the kingdom of God. In Luke 14, 24, it says this. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. Okay, what's going on here? Why would Jesus say that there are some people who are not going to taste the amazing banquet, the amazing reward that is out there for his kingdom? So if you go to the passage that is in Luke 14, just a bit ahead, actually you find out that in this parable, which ends like this, in this parable, God has sent out an invitation far and wide. And he has said, anyone come. Anyone come. But the people who first got the invitation, the people who were initially invited, they decided, ah, you know what? I've got other things to do besides go to this banquet. Besides go. And Jesus goes, if you perceive, if you taste, if you check it out, and you go, this is not good, I don't want this, then none of those people who were initially invited will actually taste. You won't actually get it. Your view of how this thing is going to taste can somehow affect whether you're going to taste it or not. And this happens all the time in our world today. That we will look at the things of God we will look at Jesus himself or even scripture and go, I bet you that tastes bad. I bet you it's not great. You know what? I've got other things to do. Oh, let me, let, me, let me do this thing first. Let me do that. Fine. If that is how your taste buds have been shaped and if you view the Bible this way, you view God this way, it might very well end up that you won't get to really taste it. That's the warning that is embedded in there. So that kind of concludes our degustation view tour of, of taste in the Bible. I've actually missed out a couple of really big ones, which we're going to end with. But we've looked through a wide spectrum of different things that the Bible has been sort of saying about taste. And I think the goal of the Bible when, it, when it's using all these taste metaphors is to try to train our taste buds. Teach us something about how we are to be conscious of our taste. It, it would go well for you, it would go well for you to attune your tastes, whether that would be for spiritual things or even in your real life, right? I mean, we all understand that in real life, you acquire a taste for high sugar, high salt foods, it's not going to go that well for you. If you acquire a taste for constantly sitting down and watching TV and not exercising and that's 
that's your taste. You've developed a real appetite for that. That it's not going to go well for you. That we, we all intuitively know that if we are to develop a taste, and it might take some time, it might be an acquired taste. It might be a taste that takes a while for our our lives to adjust to. But if we acquire a taste for things that are actually good for us, it would be like wisdom that pays off in the end. That would mean things like sitting down and doing your quiet time and reading through scripture. Right? It would, it would mean the things that wisdom would um, push us to. I want to point to, though, one thing that the Bible very definitively says about if we are to shape our taste, if we are to sort of say, hey, I need to train myself. I need to train myself to acquire the taste to like something that I know is good. I need to train myself to like something that I know is good. And this is where we get to the verse, where we are called to taste and see that God is good. That we are called to taste and see that God is good. You know, that comes from, uh, you got Psalms 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, and blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. God is good. But in 1 Peter 2, 2 to 3, it says this, like the many new babies. Can you imagine? we got so many new babies in our church, right? So just imagine for a moment, and I know I've got at least like 10 families listening to us right now. You literally have a newborn baby in your house. This baby longs for milk. It's not craving McDonald's, right? The newborn baby, I guarantee you, is not craving, you know, computer games or like, I don't know, whatever the thing is. This newborn baby is craving milk. So like newborn infants, long. Curate your desire. I'm just going to paraphrase it. Long. Curate your desire. Adjust your taste. Make sure you are desiring the pure spiritual milk. That by it, you may grow up into salvation. What? Grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. There is a phenomenon that is happening in our world today. And so I want to just kind of clarify it as we sort of hit the ending of this sermon. Uh, I want to help you separate, I guess, the image from the reality, okay? There is a phenomenon that's happening in modern church right now, and to some extent, FGA, we're a little bit guilty of it, all right? We try to make church and God palatable, right? It comes with the best of intentions, right? So, you know, this place is air-conditioned, right? You're all pretty, pretty comfortable. The seats are nice. You're all socially distant, right? I actually combed my hair today. I don't know. Whatever it is, we, we got music, they play, we... We are trying our absolute best. You know, there's free coffee after service, whatever, right? We're trying to make it, hey, it's going to be a pretty pleasant experience for you. It happens so naturally that you might be mistaken that the things of God are only good if they're like palatable, if it's comfortable for you. That if it's easy to, if somebody has sat through and picked all the Bible verses out for you and then nicely explained the whole thing, brilliant, brilliant, that's great. And then you might be under the false impression, and I want to emphasize it's a false impression, that when you open the Bible yourself, when you engage with God yourself, and it's tricky, and you're like, oh no, this tastes terrible. This tastes like gardening. This tastes like exercising. This, this tastes like, I don't know, 
whatever, balut or whatever. Like, this tastes terrible. You might be under the false impression that because it initially tastes terrible, it is bad. It tastes, it's bad. But it's not. This scripture, 1 Peter 2, 2 to 3, is actually a command, it's an instruction by Peter. He's saying, you need to long, you need to curate your desire. You need to, you need to somehow, if you're going to be followers of God, you need to understand, fundamentally, God is already good. He's good whether you think He's good or He's not good. He's good. Your opinion doesn't affect the goodness of God, right? And so this passage is then saying, hey, you, you who are not God, need to think carefully about what your taste is like. Acclimatize your taste. All humans can do it. We can acclimatize our taste to pornography, to computer games, to fast food. We can acclimatize our taste to almost anything. Acclimatize your taste to pure spiritual milk, which means the things of God. I want to encourage you that even if it is tough, even if it is like doing accounting, oh my goodness, accounting, that you persist with pursuing God, seeking wisdom. That is what is in view here. So at the end, I want to I say, what have you acquired a taste for? We're all sitting here. We've all lived enough life. Even the youngest of us here have lived enough life to acquire a taste for something. You know what you like. You definitely know what you like. What is it that you like? Do you like things that afterwards are going to have a, a bitter taste that will have taste like gravel at the end of it? Do you like things that, 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 that have a great, wonderful reward after? What, what have we acquired a taste for? And I think if, you, if the only thing you take out of today's entire sermon is this one line you just write down, what have I acquired a taste for? Question mark. I think then I've done my job because I'm hoping that you will see the great reward that comes from acquiring a taste for God. Because God is good. He wants good for you. He's not like the deceiver whose plan actually is to destroy your life. But it takes some getting used to. It takes some getting used to. Right? Um, so then, finally, as an encouragement to us, the final actually taste verse in the Bible, it's probably the most famous one of all, is this. And I wanna, I'm going to end with this. So the main point was, what have you acquired a taste for? But I just want to end with this sort of mandate for us. Because um, I've gone to the next slide, but it is not promise key. Okay, great. <laughs> Thank you. I want to end with... We should definitely keep promises. Okay, but um, Matthew 5, 13 to 16, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt, and this is why it's come on our radar, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? And then if you fast forward all the way, and I know there's a light analogy as well. I'm just going to fast forward it goes, in the same way, let your light shine before others. So it's similar. Salt, light, he's using those two, and he's trying to make a point. So that others, in the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father, your Father, who is in heaven. Not only do we have to acclimatize our taste buds as Christians to taste God, we are actually, we're actually the taste of God 
for our friends and our family. We're actually, if we're talking about taste, your children, your husband, your wife, your best friend, your co-worker, your colleague, your schoolmate, your neighbor is going to get a taste for God based on their encounter with you. And if you've lost your taste, if you've lost your saltiness, they're not going to get a good picture of God. So it's on us. It is on us. Our friends will acquire a taste for God from us. And so even as we close, I want to pray for us as a church. We have got a a pretty landmark year ahead of us. I can't even... I can't even share with you some of the things that are on the horizon yet for us as a church. But the community is opening up to us. We're entering Box Hill in a way that we've never entered before. There's not a week that goes by that somebody hasn't just come from seeing us online or Googling us and showed up at this church. We know many, many new visitors are coming to this church. It is on us. If you've been a member here at FJ for a long time, if you love God, let me just be, make it very, very clear. How you taste like, how we conduct ourselves will make a difference to how people view God. So let's steward that responsibility well. I think we can do it. Let's all rise. I'm going to pray for us. Father God, I thank you for this for this church that you have called us to be. We are your chosen people. I pray, Lord God, that you would transform our taste buds today. Help us to adjust our taste, to have a taste for things that are good and a distaste for things that you have a distaste for. I pray, Lord God, that you would transform us as a community, as a church, so that when we go out to the world, that we would have our saltiness, that we would be that flavor and that taste, so that when the world sees us, they will see that God is good. They will taste and see that God is good. I pray for every person who's here, that this message uh, would come home with us and reside with us, so that we would change on the inside, rewire our taste buds as you mold us into your image. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord.